Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thank you for having me. Today's topic, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It is loosely based on the first volume of the comic book series of the same name by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. It was directed by Stephen Norrington and starred Sean Connery, Nizza Rudin Shaw, Peter Wilson, Tony Curran, Stuart Townsend, Shane West, Jason Fleming and Richard Roxburgh. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. Are you familiar with the comics at all? Or not familiar, have you read the comics, should I say? I've got a vague and hazy recollection of having done so. I, it sounds familiar. I, I want to say yes, I have. Okay, cool. I know of them. <laughs> I've known of them for a very long time. I've seen this film quite a few times. Back in 2003, first watched it at the cinema. I yeah. mean, this was a movie based on a comic book. Directed by Stephen Norrington, who'd previously done Blade in 98. So I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. Sean Connery, James Bond. So there was a lot of appeal there. Mm. What I did find soon after, just after watching the film, and I had it in the opening there, this film is very much loosely based. It's a loose adaptation, not a faithful one. So I'm sure if you're an avid fan of those comics, maybe you didn't have the best time with this movie because mm. quite a lot of changes apparently were made. As with the comic book source material, the film features prominent pastiche and crossover themes set in the late 19th century. It features an assortment of fictional literary figures appropriate to the period who act as Victorian-era superheroes. Mm. It draws on the works of Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, Bram Stoker, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, H. Ryder Haggard, Ian Fleming, Herman Melville. I mean, the list just goes on and on. We've got Oscar Wilde, Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Allan Poe, a personal favourite of yours, yep. Gaston LaRue, Mark Twain. Although Twain, I think, was just adapted for the film. Mm. I think that was an inclusion they made. Hey... Let's have an American in this film. Yeah. So that's where I guess they went to Mark it was Twain. A big American for studio bankroll on it. Absolutely. Mm. The film received generally unfavorable reviews, but was financially successful, grossing over 179 million worldwide in cinemas and earning rental revenue of 48.6 million in DVD sales as of 2003 of 36.4 million against its 78 million budget you get the impression that all the um literary authors you just rattled off then were probably big inspir big inspirations of alan moore you, you like alan moore would have really drawn heavily upon a lot of that literature well that's what i was just talking about there that's yeah. literally what he did and then obviously the film is a loose adaption yeah of that yeah that's exactly what, what's happened what moore mm. was doing now all the characters minus one is public domain which means wow. whether it's Moore or Fox at the time, Anyone they could use, use those characters without paying a cent. The only character they didn't get clearance for was the Invisible Man. Ah, of course. As the only one said, so that's <clears throat> why we don't have the traditional Invisible Man is not referred to um, as the Invisible Man. As the Invisible Man, yeah. So he is Skinner. Correct me if I'm wrong. Quirky, nerdy uh, insight here. The Invisible Man is one of the Universal Monsters. 
Universal Studios have the dark, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dark Universe, Universal Monsters. So he is part of that roster. He is, yeah. And they did that recent movie with Elizabeth Moss, which is absolutely fantastic. That was Blumhouse. But before that, yeah, they were trying to do Dark Universe, mm. Tom Cruise, The folded. Mummy. Johnny Depp. Yeah, oh, Javier Bardem. It, it was going to be awesome, but the whole thing folded. That was, that's another whole other story. But... They got carried away with that. They'd got they... Danny Elfman to compose the Dark Union. Yeah, it was thing. All, I, I was on board. I was really, really... I was interested, yeah. But that was going to be like a big budget take, whereas they scaled it back with The Invisible Man with Moss, which was very much its own thing, but Blumhouse is said to be working on other Universal Monster mm. it just reminded me all, It just reminded me of all that because of the Universal Man... Uh, the, sorry, because of the Invisible Man's inclusion in this. Yeah, but I mean... Oh, I mean, come on, though. I mean, yeah. visually... Now, I was just going to say, visually, there's some things that work about this film. Like, I love the look of Nemo's submarine. Yeah. How it's like a blade cutting through the, the water when it's on the surface. Wasn't that incredible? It does. So there's things that like, look amazing. But then you've got Tony Curran as Rodney Skinner, a gentleman thief who got his hands on Griffin's mm. invisibility serum. So... The original Invisible Man isn't in it because he's not uh, public domain. They didn't Mm. have the rights. So they've got their own Invisible Man, usually wrapped in bandages. Yeah. That's the approach with the actor. Some some sort of telltale giveaway thing to let you know. You either get a floating pair of glasses or or a floating hat hat, or it's bandages. So what do they do with Rodney Skinner? Paint. Paint his face white. Mm. (laughs) So you okay. It's interesting at first, Different I take. thought, when he's invisible and he's applying the white makeup or the paint. Mm. That looks pretty cool. Until the rest of the film, it's just the actor with his face painted white. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can appreciate it, but it looks a bit naff. Yeah, I don't know if you re- if you recognised him, but Tony Curran also played Boar. Uh, Thor's grandfather in the Dark World for Marvel. Oh, right. No, I didn't, but I did recognize him from Blade 2. He's priest. Oh, there you go. He's one of the vampires in that. There you go. <laughs> so, Blade Connection, the director, mm. and, and a Marvel Connection. And, uh, and him as an actor. Yeah, that's mm. pretty oh. That's pretty cool. I didn't think, you know, that he was going to be the first actor. Yeah. I, mean, I, I no, thought again, we were. Gonna... He's a character actor. Yeah, but I kind of thought we'd start with Connery. Just but like. That's, um, that's okay. Just like Jason Fleming, who's also in this. He was one of the bad guys in X-Men First Class. He was the, the red guy, the devil-looking guy. Uh, I forget his name. Azazel. Yeah, Azrael. Oh, that, uh, is it Azrael or Azazel? I thought it was Azrael. I could have read it wrong. I thought Azrael was Jean-Paul Valley from Batman. That's well. He could be both. Oh, it could be both, yeah. could be both. Okay. Well, he's the, he's <laughs> the son you know. of Nightcrawler in the comics. but it's, uh, The dad. Uh, the dad of Nightcrawler in the comics. But... Um, Jason Fleming plays him in the movie, and he's also in this movie. So there's two actors who have Marvel connections in this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's more as well. Mm. With with Fleming, because again, we will get to Connery. Yep. With Fleming, apparently, they went to many British actors who oh, all so turned weird. it down. Wow. All turned it down, and he, he took on the role. Now, ordinarily, when doing prep for this, I could just jump online and readily find information about the film and i was really curious specifically about fleming's character mr hyde ah yes i had to like go out of my way if i'm honest to find information about it because i was really curious about how they did it visually well let's hear it because at times the effects looked horrible in fact Mm. you know what 
Not so much with Mr. Hyde. More so, you know where the other guy overdoses on the server oh, at the end? yeah, and they had that big fight. That's like full CGI. Big time. Is this a video game? <laughs> like, yeah. It was, yeah. it was shocking. But Mr. Hyde, for the most part, it was a suit that they built. You can kind of and get they, the sense of that. They had him in, in prosthetics. And what they had, like what they refer to as a stunt suit and a hero suit. Mm-hmm. The hero suit is often what the actor wears or for close-ups. Yeah. Like you need to get a good shot. But because of the design and everything, they put so much effort into both the hero and the stunt suit. Even the stunt suits that were soon to get ruined, they put so much detail into it. So he's got like the big massive arms. He's got the prosthetics on his head. We're talking yeah. like he probably had to arrive anywhere between six, seven, eight, how many hours before, before the rest of the cast. Yeah, that's that's evident. I, I That thought actually did occur to me uh, upon rewatching it. I thought, man, he's under so much makeup there and you can tell that he's wearing something. You can tell, you can just sort of see the way his neck kind of bulges out of it or you can sort of see the seam lines of where the suit would be fitted. Yeah, so, it, I mean, that's cool. But then yeah. you've got, like, exterior action shots. Of course they had to rely CGI on CGI. Yeah. But again, when he's going up against that other guy who oh, overdoses, yeah. oh, it's pretty awful. Yeah. But, oh, um, come on, man. It's, 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 mid, it's early to mid-2000s. It is, yeah. The again, CGI's improved again, considerably since then. 2003, but I do appreciate the Mr. Hyde suit. Me too, me too. I'm not, I'm not bagging it. Yeah. I think it's great. It does look cool. And I do like Jason Fleming. And he's done other comic book adaptions as well. Yeah, he's right. For DC, he's in the Pennyworth TV series. Oh, I didn't know that. And he's, um, he's, he's pretty cool in that. He's one of those dudes who just pops up, doesn't he? He's just like one of those background actors who just seems to just pop up. He is, but honestly, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That's one that? of my favorite movies. Nice. Yeah, he's in that. You've got a young Jason Statham. Oh, oh so good. Like nice. Guy Ritchie's first movie. Nice. And yeah, Fleming is in that. Well, let's talk the director, Stephen Norrington. He began his career as a sculptor and makeup artist. He worked under the likes of Dick Smith, Rick Baker, and Stan Winston on a number of well-known effects-driven films of the 80s and 90s. Mm. His directorial debut credits include the cult sci-fi horror film Death Machine (laughs) and the comic book adaptions of Blade Uh and, of course, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There you go. Interestingly... He portrayed Michael Morbius in the alternate ending to Blade. It's wow. a cutscene as a special feature on the DVD and Blu-ray. But originally, we were going to get Morbius there decades before Jared I, Leto. I did not know that. Starred in that travesty of a film that is Morbius. That's another movie I've got to watch, by the way. I'll put it on my list. Oh, mate. Prepare <laughs> to be disappointed. I mean, oh, check it out. You're yeah. a Marvel guy. You want to watch it, of yeah. course. Um, Stephen Norrington. Now, this is interesting because... I think I, I've i misheard something or I've read something that isn't factually correct over the years. Mm-hmm. Norrington had... So he had a hard time making this movie and he announced that he would never direct another movie again. As of August 2019, he hasn't. He reportedly did not like the studio supervision and is uncomfortable with large crews. But the point that I was going to say that I read is that to working with Sean Connery, they had a particularly bad working relationship. Oh, wow. They both disagreed over everything with Norrington constantly changing setups during the shoot, much to Connery's annoyance. According to anonymous sources on the set, 
there were frequent shouting matches and in one infamous incident, Norrington challenged Connery to hit him in the face, oh, to wow. which Connery responded by walking off the set. Norrington did not attend the opening party and when Connery was asked where Stephen could be, he said to have replied, check the local asylum. Now, the <laughs> part that I want to pull out of that, which I have got wrong all these years, I thought Connery actually hit him. Okay. But so apparently not. Maybe he that was, was an urgent urban legend. Well, it's, it's come from this that I just right. said there, that the, the director said, hey, hit me in the face. And Connery didn't take up the challenge no. and he, he walked away. But um, yeah, but I, I did know, like, before I even watched it for the first time, that it was problematic. Isn't it amazing that a feature like that, where you think everyone's on board and everyone's, you know, uh, cohesive and on the same page, that's just not the case. I honestly think it was a big clash of, at the time, old-style filmmaking mm. and new filmmaking. Mm. And just the way that there were many set changes... And, you know, Connery, from what I've heard, he didn't like those changes. So I don't know if it was necessarily Norrington. I think, you just think it was a case Incongruency. Of, yeah, just Connery just... He, I mean, come on. Like, back in the 60s, he'd done Doctor No. He'd played yeah, James yeah, Bond for yeah. a number of years. In the 90s, you know, he'd done... What did he do? I think Entrapment was mid to late 90s. Yeah. This came out in 2003. I think Connery, he just got to a point in his career where filmmaking had just changed so much compared it, to what he'd been used to. That he was just so sort of uh, unfazed by it or so, so over it. Yeah, I mean, this film was his final live-action movie role. He officially retired from acting in 2006 and right. um, passed away in 2020. That's right. But there'd been like a series, like so many like scripts were sent his way mm. and he'd read them and reportedly he was saying, I'm not going to do it because I don't get it. I don't know what it is. Like he turned down The Matrix. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah. And there was another like big high profile film that he turned down because he didn't know what is this even about. Yeah, because he's just an old school guy. Exactly. Insane, and this man. this movie included, he read it, didn't have a clue what it was about, but I guess he probably thought, well, I've turned down enough of them already. I should probably do one. I'm, maybe I won't understand <laughs> scripts that are coming my way, so he agreed to do this one. Well, let's talk about Sean Connery. I mean, he's the main guy in the film, right? I mean, his character, Alan Quatermain, yeah. an adventurer and hunter. Like, there's, you know, before this movie, there's been films... Maybe there was movie serials back in the day. Mm. There's, you know, novels. Like, this is a known character. And to many, it's like the original Indiana Jones. Whether it's, you know, the Uncharted video games, or all these characters, you know, Tomb Raider. Like, this guy is the original. What I love about Connery is that, and I had this thought watching it the other night in, in order to prep for this episode, um, is that he's, he feels like the last of the pulp heroes. He feels like, you know how we talked about Indiana Jones, we talked about Indiana Jones being the last of the pulp heroes uh, and how, and of course, Connery plays his father in one of the films. Um, Connery very much has that kind of appeal and that vibe. He's an old school Hollywood leading man. He can do action. He can do romance. He can do it all. Um, and he just, it lends itself so perfectly to that, like big swashbuckling sword fighting, you know, adventures and stuff like that. 
He really feels like a pulp, a man of pulp fiction out of time. The character does. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said that the character does. Yeah. And I do like Connery from previous work. Yeah. But, you know, even this recent viewing, he he always looks just disinterested. Mm. He does not look like he wants to be there at all. It's like yeah. Connery is there and the film is happening around him. It was kind of to the point where I was having a bit of fun with it too. I was sort of... Um, um, like I'd, I'd get like uh, Snapchat out and I'd, I'd do like recordings of me watching the movie but I would mute the sound at points and I would do Connery's voice but I would basically have the, him just swearing every line is just him swearing at people or things or situations and I had a bit of fun with it oh well there you go yeah. but, that, but that's the thing though like it should be enough watching Connery in this film where you know you're having to find ways to entertain yourself whilst no, watching I mean, him in this film. Like, but, I, I would I would then go back and rewind it and rewatch the okay, scene. Okay, yeah, but you but know, just you, for a bit of fun. You get my meaning though. Yeah, like it it sounded like you put more effort into it than he did. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, Connery. Like, I don't want to speak ill because again, he's no longer with us. But and and I'm a fan of his work. I really am. Me, but, me too. Me too. Of course. But when hearing about the problems happening behind the scenes, mm, it doesn't come as too much of a surprise. No, it's interesting actually when you when you actually get delve into it, just how much of a falling out and uh, there was between between the director and then the, the actor. You know, interestingly, there is a, a character in this film who also does a Sean Connery impression. Oh yeah, Peter Wilson as Doctor Mina Harker. Right. She's the vampire, which is a change to her character because in the original stories, she wasn't actually a vampire. So they've made that change. Yeah, I think maybe even for this film. I don't even think mm. in Alan Moore's comics. And and she not only was human, but had that Dracula connection. Mm. She was the leader and not Alan Quatermain. Right. So they made some changes there. The actress looks familiar. I, 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 she has a face that kind of you feel like you've seen before. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't recognise the name as well. But, mm. but she's the, the actress or the actor that does a Connery impression. She does an impression of Quartermain, which is just a Connery impression. And it's something that she ad-libbed. That, that must have well, just... actually, I think she might have cleared it with Connery first. That must have passed me by. I must have, must have slipped my It attention. happens in the film. I mean, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, in fact, I no, I don't think it was an ad-lib. I think she cleared it with him first. Right, and he must have been okay with it, of course. There was a no Connery impression rule on set. I'm oh, really? Sure. <laughs> Well, everybody's got a Connery. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> he strikes me as the kind of guy though who would be a little affable and, oh, really? and could laugh at him. Okay. Look, could laugh at himself, you know. Never got that from him at all. But again, fan of his work. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely fan of his work. Yeah, me too. Obviously. One more thing on Peter Wilson: her mm. breasts were enhanced on the promotional posters. So there you go. That's Fox thinking. You know what? Um, Sex sells. Yeah. Let's give her bigger breasts. We probably don't have enough confidence in this movie to really sell it. So let's just give her some. Fake breaths. Yeah. Yeah. Well wow. necessary at all. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's something obviously that they did. I will say though well. that, that rewatching this again, because it's been many years since I first watched it, it is better than I remember it being. Wow. I, I didn't like it <laughs> well, I didn't like it upon my first my first watch. I remember watching it and being a bit unimpressed by it. But rewatching it the other night, it actually holds up. It actually does feel better than I remember it being. Like I can, I, I was a bit more into it and a bit more invested. Like I was like, okay, cool. I, I get where they're coming from now. I get what they're trying to do. I, it made more sense to me all these years later to, upon the rewatch than it did when I initially watched it. I think I've I've always had the same experience with it and always recognised that the the concept is a lot better than the execution. Mm. I've always had that feeling, but there, there is some things. Well, there's a lot of things to like about it, really. And Mister Hyde, 
and Jason Fleming is one definitely of one of them. But I've always liked Nizarudin Shaw as Captain Nemo. Yeah, yeah. He's always had such a strong presence and other characters, it's you know, you're like, are they good? Are they bad? Like, do they have ulterior motives? Yeah, Whereas yeah. with Nemo, you're you've, right. you've always taken him as a sharpshooter and he's You know he's the good guy. Exactly right, yes. Yeah. So I've always liked him as a character. Did it strike you as a bit like Justice League Dark or, 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 or a weird rogue version of the Avengers or something like that? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, this predates Justice League Dark, but it is like a ragtag group of yeah. characters brought together. I mean, you wouldn't, like, outside of this franchise, I'm saying franchise, you know, they're soon to make, they're rebooting this film for Hulu. Really? So it'll be a Disney Plus original for his in Australia. So the casting will be very interesting. Let's say franchise. And so for this franchise... I mean, Hyde, you typically see him as a bad guy, yeah. where he's, he's working as a good guy and actually proves himself to be heroic. I mean, he's pretty mm. much the Incredible Hulk of the team. Yeah, he was. He's the unhinged one who's obviously got the dual personalities. You would think that he'd be duplicitous. By oh, nature. I'm just thinking about it. Like, the comparisons are easy. Quartermain yeah. is Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. you can make those you can see, That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it just lends itself to that. But it just feels like, a like you say, a ragtag assortment, a motley crew, if you will, of literary figures who yeah. get drafted into service. And for, instead of being superheroes, they're pulp heroes. Pulp heroes. And, and that's anti-heroes. Where, and that's where Conrad comes in. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so we've already mentioned uh, not the Invisible Man, but the Gentleman Thief, yep. Rodney Skinner. Yep. Um, they can't use Invisible Man. Captain Nemo, great character. He was, was great. Stuart Townsend as Dorian Gray. I remember him from Queen of the Damned. Oh, so do I. Mm. Awful film. I know you like the soundtrack. Which is soundtrack fine. was rad. <laughs> which That's is one fine. thing. The movie sucked. I know, but it's like, hey... Remember Interview with a Vampire, where we had Tom Cruise's Lestat? Let's do that again. Well, in 2002, we're going to do a kind of sequel, um, but instead of Tom Cruise, we're going to get Stuart Townsend, Townsend, and he's going to be a rock star. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Really, really dislike that film. But anyway, we're not talking about that film. We're talking about this. Dorian Gray It's a cool slash awful looking visual <laughs> when he finally sees his painting because oh that's right he's the double agent he's been working he's for the mole. yeah mole. and who he's working for he's moriarty yeah you've got your connection to sherlock holmes yeah. he's also known as m to the british government so you've got your james bond connection there you go right there. but then he's also got the other alias as well which for the moment i'm blanking on a uh, phantom he's phantom with an f a wheel within a wheel here. Um, you just brought up Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes. And that's... Uh, Connery makes reference to them in another film. It was Rising Sun with Wesley Snipes. Ah. He talks about that. And he talks about the relationship between uh, Holmes and Moriarty um, and, and that sort of thing. So that's where, that's like a nice... It's interesting that you should say that. And Connery happens to feature in this film. Oh, and there's so many overlapping things Yeah, here. which like, I really love. Originally, they wanted James Bond's grandfather to be in this film. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that would have been really cool. And do you know what? What? They were looking at Roger Moore. Oh, wow. Two Bonds in one film. Could you imagine? That would have been very cool. But it, it didn't happen. Sadly, but, it just didn't come to pass. But James Bond's grandfather came close to appearing in this film. Wow. But going back to Stuart Townsend, mm. he plays it well enough. Yeah. Serviceable. I think that's the right word. Soyviceable. Tom Sawyer. Played by Shane 
West, an agent from the United States that aids the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I find it comical where they actually reference them as that team name. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if they do that in the comics, but um, I guess it works for the film. Let's mm. throw the film's title out there. But, but he plays like a, a substitute son for Quartermain. When we first meet him at the beginning of the film, mm. he's cut himself off from the rest of the world. He's living in Africa. Yeah. And this is the, the whole, like the mystic thing around Quartermain, how Africa won't let him die. Yeah. And he's living there. Originally in the script, he was an opium addict oh, at wow. the beginning of the film and Connery refused. Yeah. So they had to change it. They just have it so he cut himself off from the rest of the world but then his son died at a young age and then he sees Tom Sawyer as kind of being like a son to him, even though they've just met. <laughs> but their relationship develops quickly and he's trying to save his life or by saving his life that we're to believe that Quartermain dies mm. until the end of the film. Yeah. They wanted more. They wanted sequels. They never happened. But you've got the gun on the dirt. The gun starts to move. Yeah, we know I mean, he's alive. It's the sequels were never going to happen. We knew Connery was getting on. We knew that he wasn't going to come back and reprise the role. You know, I guess just adding a little bit more to Sawyer because they really wanted this American character to happen and to yeah. be substantial. Yeah, and that's that's you get the feeling, like you said from the outset, that that's the studio's interjection. Yeah, it is. Um, I think somebody working on the film initially didn't like that decision, but then thought actually that's a pretty good idea. Well. In a cutscene, Tom Sawyer explains that he and his friend, Agent Hook Finn, which is just ridiculous making them agents, but okay. They were tracking down the Phantom and that the Phantom killed Hook. That is the reason Sawyer is so intent on getting the Phantom. There you go. But without that bit of information, why is he so driven in the film? Like, Why is he so driven stopping the Phantom? If that was part of the movie... Yeah. It would have added something a little bit extra. Do you know who we need to talk about? Richard Roxburgh. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he's the he's the big bad. I was blown away. I could not believe it because back then when I first watched it, I had no idea who he was. Years gone by, I came to realise he was a very prominent Australian actor and I saw him as uh, Rake, the lawyer, in the, the TV show, the same name. Um, and uh, he was brilliant. He, he even played Bob Hawke, the former Prime Minister, in that um, miniseries about him. Just simply entitled Hawk, and he nailed the person the personalization of Hawk. Um, Roxburgh is a brilliant actor in his own right, and it was so amazing to me. I was blown the hell away to rewatch this and see that he was a, a big bad in a major Hollywood blockbuster. Honestly, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you've just reeled off all of that, all new information to me. Yep, I don't. I'm not really familiar with his works. I'm, yep. I'm glad that you were able to. Oh, he's great. To go through all that. It was awesome. You seriously go back and watch Hawk, and go back and watch Rake. So I've not seen any of that. Do I've it. not seen any of that. All I've seen, I guess I, I'm sure I've seen him pop up in other things. Mm. But in this film, as I said earlier, he's the Phantom. He's also known as M. So he's the one responsible for bringing the yes. league together in the first place. And being, dupis, dupis, and being duplicitous and betraying them. Professor James Moriarty, an old enemy of Sherlock Holmes. Yep. And as Phantom, he leads a terrorist organization. And as M, he claims to be working for the British Empire. Yeah. So... He's doing a lot there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's doing a lot of... He's like lifting. a double agent. Triple. Triple agent. Oh, there you go. <laughs> He's doing three Call things. triple duty. Yeah. David Hemmings, we get him in the very beginning as Nigel. Poor Nigel. Mm. A friend of Alan Quatermain. Gets shot. 
He pretends to be Alan just so he's not getting harassed by people. Get shot. <laughs> really, really feel bad for the guy. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Is he the same actor, bit bit actor, character actor, if you will, who is in Pirates of the Caribbean with the big chops? Do you know what? I think he is. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, I looked well at him. Done. Are those sideburns, man? They're a dead giveaway. Yeah. I, no. lo- I looked at him and <laughs> I went, think you're right. that's, that's Johnny Depp's buddy in That's right. Yeah. No. yeah, now you've said it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, pretty, pretty cool. Eagle-eyed. Costumes, very fitting of the Victorian era. Uh, visually, Mr. Hyde, you know, we talked about the, the suit yep. you know, that, that the actor's wearing, but also, you know, he's got the top hat, the ripped clothing, yep. which is really cool. And everybody looks to be wearing era Edwardian sort of era attire. How cool was the, the big white car they get chauffeured around? Yeah, that well. was cool. That was almost like a reverse Batmobile. It was almost yeah. like But Nemo Batmobile. has to introduce to them what it actually is. It is a... Automobile, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I this, mean, it's this... like yeah, cause it's the end of the. What is it like? It's set. What is it? Eighteen ninety nine, or it's yeah. at the end of the eighteen hundreds, isn't the it? The start of the Industrial Revolution. Probably. There we go. That sort of Victorian Edwardian sort of period around there. Yeah. So I mean, again, aesthetically, you know, it looks great. It is working, yeah. But yeah. again, the loose adaption, the changes. Mm. That's because they don't make. adhere stringently enough to Moore's graphic novel. Yeah. And I think this was the, I think it was because of this film that he didn't want to be associated with film adaptions of his work. Mm, There's there's from hell with Johnny Depp. Yep. Yep. I think Heather Graham's in that as well. Yeah. I've got the DVD Watchmen. Yep. What's the other one? Oh, V for Vendetta. That's yeah, another yeah. One. And it's strange how he's got all these amazing bodies of work, but just distances himself. And he's like, I want nothing to do with the Hollywood adaptations of these things. Well, I guess they did it without him, really. Adapting his work, and no doubt he got paid for it, yeah, unless he, he refused a fee. But, but it's so different to what he was putting on page. And I think that's probably what it is. It's just yeah. doing a disservice to what he was doing creatively. I think but even right. like the recent like you know, the recent Watchmen TV show on HBO was amazing. Mm. Like, that is such a good show. But mm. he's like he's drawn the line in the sand way back in the early noughties, maybe earlier. Mm. And he's like, you know what? I want nothing to do. Mm. Keep my name out of it yeah in a way I, I can understand it's like he he wants the integrity of his, of his literary work held up you know or intact yeah i mean again like what he i did read is that it was just doesn't want to bastardized by hollywood i kind of yeah i understand it yeah he was unhappy with the adaption being so different from his original story mm. and then again you know the other movies that were mentioned he which came after this so we got v for vendetta in 05 that was good Watchmen in 09 but starting with this movie i guess he didn't want to be associated because of how yeah. different they they were going to be. Watchmen was a flawless adaptation. I loved it. I mean, apart from twisting around the ending, it was still brilliant. Well, on one hand, the ending would have been hard to pull off and might yeah, seem a little bit silly. Big giant squid. But yeah. then they do it in the TV show and nail it, and it's amazing. Like really? the Watchmen TV show, like here in Australia, it's available on Binge. It is one of the best shows of last year. Well. Watchmen as a TV show, a limited series, is absolutely amazing. It's so incredible. They actually do the big monster. I'd say I don't want to spoil it. I kind of have a little bit, but it is. Yeah, what happened in the original graphic novel? That's what happened in the TV show. In that continuity, gotcha. And there's ramifications of that attack still present in the show. Gotcha. It's really good, man. Honestly, well, and you can pick it up on DVD and Blu-ray right. uh, if you haven't got binge. But it's very, very. 
Very good. But cool. I know you like Snyder, though. You're, yeah, you're yeah. a big fan of Snyder. Oh, Zach yeah, I'm Snyder. a big Snyder fan. But I, I thought his adaptation of The Watchmen was pretty damn, damn good. I like it. Good. Great casting. Um, yeah, no, it is. It is a good film. And at the time, when you changed the ending, it made perfect sense because it would have been too silly. Mm. But since we've had, you know, all the MCU films and mm. the more they make, in a good way, the sillier they get and more comic yeah. accurate. Yeah. So I guess back in 09, you couldn't have done Watchmen and have a giant squid. It seemed too silly. Yeah, I agree with you. Now you can. Now you can, and it would just be people would accept it. The composer working on this film, Trevor Jones. He's worked on numerous well-known and acclaimed films, including Excalibur, The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Last of the Mohicans. Oh, wow, I remember that. So, you know, they went to a top talent for the score, Mm. and it works. It's good. Like, it's got a good theme. Yeah. Um, it fits like just like you know talking about the the costumes the the look of the world and the score it marries that perfectly absolutely a planned sequel was cancelled due to negative critical reception and poor box office receipts it would have been an adaption of the second series of the comic book with the league battling the martian tripods from hg wells war of the worlds oh wow a clue to the sequel's plot can be gleaned from a poster in the background which says volcanic eruption on Mars. Mm. There you go. They were laying out the breadcrumbs. Little nod and wink. So that would have been interesting. It would have. But who's to say they won't revisit that in future with different actors? Well, again, we're going to get a Hulu original film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently got uh, the new Predator film, Prey, which is yeah. phenomenal. Mm. That is on Hulu in the US, Disney Plus here in Australia. That's where we're going to get the new Hellraiser. That's where we're going to get the new League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So I'm very excited to see what that's going to look like. Has there been any casting news? No casting yet. Oh, and okay. that's going to be very, very exciting. Like, oh, yeah. This movie had Connery. Who are they going to get for Alan Quatermain? In the very new one. interested. And Will uh, Fleming and... Current reprise their roles. That's Brand new. It's a reboot. Brand oh, okay. new. Starting again. Right. Yep. So it's going to be completely an original cast and maybe closer to the original comics. One can only hope. I mean, I don't think Alan Moore's interested either way. No, <laughs> I think he he's absolutely done. Yeah, he doesn't give it a toss. But I'm interested. I'm optimistic about what that new film is going to Me look too. like. Or is it a TV show? It's a film or TV show. One of the two. Don't quote me on it. But it's definitely coming to Hulu. You heard it here first, folks. Or elsewhere. Or it's, elsewhere. It's been out there. The news has been out there for a very, very long time. It's been public and that's domain why for a while. I'm trying to think, is it film or TV? You didn't hear it here first here, folks. You just heard it here. This film, if you're going to rate it out of five. I think a respectable 3.5. I think that's that's not too... That's 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 fair. Um, it, it shows that it's not the most amazing film. It's... Uh, it, but it's it's also not totally crap. It's um, <laughs> it's not totally crap. Three point five. Yeah, three point five. <laughs> I, I look. I as I said earlier on in the show, um, it was better than I remembered it being when, upon my first viewing of it many many years ago. Um, I it held it holds up pretty good. There were things to like about it. I liked the look of the world. I liked the costume designs. I liked that rustic sort of. Um, uh, industrial revolution sort of like you say the the late 19th century kind of look um the actors do great great jobs with their with their parts that they're given um it was it was cool it, it, it kept me entertained i didn't i didn't didn't fall asleep during it or anything like that um 
and I even managed to have a bit of fun poking a bit of fun at the Connery's accent too. So, you know, I, I think three three point five is pretty fair. Uh, the only thing that really gives it, uh, the only thing that stops prevents it from being a, a, a four or higher for me was the disrespect to Alan Moore's work and not really be conforming to it closely enough. That's about it. I've said before the the concept is better than the execution. Mm. Do you know what? I first watched this when it came out. We weren't spoilt for choice like we are now. I mean, this was 03. I think call. that's the same year that we got, I want to say, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. That's a really good call. Um, yeah, and I, and I think I was more forgiving. Mm. Knowing, even though I'd not read the comics, knowing it was a comic book adaption. It was enough for you. Got the concept, mm. pulp heroes instead of superheroes, forming a super team. And I think I was more forgiving back then. Watching it for this, and I've seen it a few times over the years, I don't like it. I don't like the film. I like things about it. And a lot of that is to do with Jason Fleming and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, yeah, I, oh, I do have a hard time with it. I'm, I'm going to come in quite low with, with this one. I'm going to come in at a two out of five. Okay. Yeah, I... And even as I was watching it for this review and I was I was trying to just find ways to stay engaged and trying to look out for things that I did like and there's just more things that I don't. It was it was it was it felt like a chore for you, like hard work. It did, but yeah. I had to get through it because, you know, I had to have a fresh take on it so we could talk about it for this. But mm. yeah, it's it's I think it's the lowest I've come in for a while on the podcast. On sounds like comics. Well, yeah, two out of five. I, I wouldn't recommend this one, but I am hopeful to see what we get next with these characters. Absolutely, it's well said. That was really well um, argued, actually, really well said. Well, that's it for our episode, all about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook and Sounds Like Comics podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.